The Church Media Podcast, episode 165, Church Growth Flywheel with Rich Birch, part three. Let's do it. This is the Church Media Podcast. The definitive podcast for helping you create dynamic experiences and build solid media production teams at your church. Exclusive interviews and church media training from the best minds in ministry and Christian entertainment. Useful, practical content in the areas of audio, lighting, video, stage design, volunteer culture, and more. Broadcasting from the ministry headquarters of 1230 Media, here's your host, Carl Barnhill. Episode 165 of the Church Media Podcast. Thanks for listening this week. This podcast is all about helping you create dynamic worship experiences at your church. We talk about production, worship leading, speaking, volunteers, leadership, and more. Anything having to do with your worship gatherings. It's part of our network of podcasts to give you free training to help you make Sunday happen at your church. If you haven't checked out our other podcast that just launched back in September, check it out. It's called The Youth Room. It's a video podcast with my buddies Trevor Miller and Daniel Stevanis. It's all about helping student pastors transform their worship experiences. The guys have over 20 years of combined youth ministry experience and bring their unique style and humor to the podcast world. You can watch the podcast at 1230.media forward slash The Youth Room. That's 1230.media forward slash The Youth Room. You can also check out our worship and custom media designed specifically for student ministry. Check out all the resources there. Again, that URL, 1230.media forward slash The Youth Room. This week on the show, I wrap my interview with the author of Church Growth Flywheel Up. His name is Rich Birch. If you missed part one and part two of my interview with Rich, check it out at thechurchmediapodcast.com. That's episodes 163 and 164 if you want to catch up. Also, feel free to jump around in the archives of the show. We've been at this for about three years now, so we have a massive library of podcast content for you to check out. Again, that's thechurchmediapodcast.com. We're going to dive right into my interview with Rich after this quick church media tip. Check this out. And now, your church media tip of the week. Useful tips and tricks to help you transform the worship experiences at your church. Here's Carl Barnhill. Hey guys, this week I want you to consider using song support or lyric videos in your worship experiences. If these are done right in your services, it will take your experience to a whole new level. There are a couple of ways to use videos with songs your band is performing live. First way is as a soft roll. This is footage that can be rolled that the timing doesn't have to be perfect to match lyrics or anything that is happening live. If the timing is off a little bit, it doesn't affect the performance at all. So try using soft roll footage. Number two, you can do lyric videos as what I call flex files. These are videos that can be fired to match the song manually. So for instance, one file could be made for the intro, one for verse one, one for the chorus, and so on. So they're individual video files that you can fire based on the element of the song. So I call these flex files. Number three is with a click track. Now in my opinion, as a motion designer and as a service producer, the best way to use song support videos 
is to execute it with a click track. The video can be built with one side of audio having a click and the other having nothing or added instruments you may not have live. The click side can go to the ears of your band and the other side can go to the house. At 1230 Medium, we've had the privilege of producing several hundred song videos for Christian music artists and churches around the world. You can go to 1230.media forward slash song videos to check out just a handful of song videos that we've produced. We'd be happy to produce some for your church setting if you have the need. I firmly believe that if you use elements like song or lyric videos in your worship services, it will keep your audience engaged and help boost your overall experience. These video elements should not distract, they should enhance your experience. They should work within the flow of your service to help lead people to Jesus and help people grow with him. Get more free coaching for your production team through our blog, podcast, and online resource library. Visit 1230.media slash training today. This is an exclusive interview from the Ministry of 1230 Media. Here is Church Media Coach Carl Barnhill. Let's move to uh, social media as the the next spoke on the flywheel. What are some of the best places um, in our church to find content, maybe, to, to share on social? Right. So, you know, it's interesting how much, and I know you know this, and listeners who are listening in, this, this is not a surprise for people, particularly people who listen to your show like this. Uh, but, uh, and there may be people who are listening in that still need to be pushed on this, the impact that social media is having on our communities is profound. It's, it's not, um, you know, it's not a minor sideshow. I, I still run into pastors who are like, I'm not so sure about Facebook. I'm like, listen, the stats are, are universally clear. 67% of Americans are on Facebook on a regular basis. Uh, 30% of all women uh, ages 18 to 35 check Facebook before they get out of bed in the morning. Um, If if those statistics were related to anything else in your community, if 70% of the people in your community were doing something on a regular basis, I know that the church leaders who are listening in would be trying to figure out what's going on over there. If if there was like a really popular restaurant that 70% of the people in town were going to, you'd say, I got to go check out that restaurant. What's going on over there? Or, you know, if 70% of your people were, you know, you driving the same car, you'd be like, what is it about that car? Uh, but for some reason, people, they ignore social media generally. They ignore Facebook specifically, which is, is a surprise. You know, and I think there's, over time, it was a challenge to write this chapter because it changes so quickly. Um, you know, it, it was a challenge to write this because, as you know, um, you know, what happens, what works today on Facebook is different than what works, you know, six months from now or worked six months ago. And so there's kind of a constant turn on that area. And so for me, what I tried to do is break down the thinking in two different categories. One, so we talk about remarkable content. Other contexts would probably call this as viral content. That's when that magic happens, when you release something onto Facebook, some piece of content that seems to connect with the, the greater zeitgeist, the kind of community thinking, and it just impacts a lot of people. And, you know, there used to be a phase, and this, this isn't as popular as it now, where people would say, like, I'm just going to make a viral video. There is no making of viral videos. There is no making of 
viral content. It, it is more made by the community than it is made by by individuals. And so I sometimes see churches make stuff where you can tell, like, they're really hoping this will go huge. And that's very, very hard to do. Now, you can do it, and I give some examples of that. You know, we, we tried, you know, we over the years have tried to do things that are, you know, funny and witty and ultimately people change. We did a series a couple years ago when, uh, so Tim, our lead pastor, great guy, incredible communicator, loves Star Wars. And our target market, the people who, a lot of people we reached were in a similar demographic and Star Wars was a big deal, you know, or, you know, at least in the age demographic that people could actually watch that. And when the new, kind of the first of the new batch of movies came out, uh, we did a whole th- we did a whole series around uh, a whole Christmas series around Star Wars. Now it, w- it was great. We created some great funny content. I talk about that in the book about um, you know at its core. I think and this is um, this really isn't in the book, but it's just a com- an old co- comedy writer's trick that uh, comedy a large portion of comedy is one of two things. One, it's either normal people in very strange scenarios, or two, it's strange people in very normal scenarios. And so using that kind of framework, one of the things we did was we took uh, stormtroopers and we put them in all these very normal Christmas scenarios. So we had like a stormtrooper who was burning the Christmas cookies or stormtrooper that was struggling to wrap a Christmas present or stormtrooper who was trying to deck the, you know, a tree or whatever. And, you know, they were funny videos, our hope was, wow, these would be great and go viral. They did modestly well, uh, but that's hard content to create. The other type of content that actually does consistently do well, even as all these networks change, is really helpful content. So, you know, how do we go out and help people uh, with uh, online to answer questions that they may have? And actually, there's kind of an extreme example of that from the Meeting House Church I was at, and this started way after I was, you know, ever there, but... Um, uh, Brexy, their lead guy, he does this thing at every, end of every message where he does an open forum Q&A at the end of every message. So literally the message ends and he'll say something like, hey, is there any questions about anything I said uh, or left unsaid? And so as you can imagine, he's been doing that for 25, maybe 30 years. He is very good at answering people's questions. He's very good at kind of getting it down to a soundbite. And so about a year ago, they started doing uh, this series that they call Brexy's Big Bag of Questions, BBQ. And they produce these great videos. They're like three to four minutes long, and they're, they answer a, you know, a search engine friendly, you know, social friendly, sticky question that, um, you know, people might be interested in. Why did God allow Adam and Eve to sin? Why do Christians believe God uh, is both three and one? You know, how can we love our enemies without being a doormat? These kinds of things that, like, are, it, they feel very buzzfeedy, um, you know, social media. And as in, when I wrote this book, and just even, it's actually accelerated since I wrote it. You know, at that point, I think they were maybe 80, you know, videos out there, you know, approaching 100,000 downloads, you know, which for, you know, a single church of, uh, you know, a single church in one location is, is very good. But how do you, how could you create helpful content, content that ultimately people in your community would, uh, you know, when I get some other examples in the book, but I think that framework is actually better rather than trying to say, hey, what do we do that's remarkable? The question yes. is, how do we actually help our people? How do we create content that ultimately answers questions that people are, uh, that answers questions that people are actually uh, asking? That's really good. And I think all that, um, the, the Q&A and um, kind of the behind the scenes stuff, like all, all that is, is content that is, is right there that, that 
uh, marketers and church communications people can use if they look around them. Uh, do you know what I'm saying? Like the, I think a lot of people oh, totally. wonder, uh, most, where am I going to find content? Are, are overwhelmed with content. Like they actually have way too much content. Right. Um, you know, I think we forget that. Like you're every week we're generating a significant amount of content as a church. We're just not leveraging it well, right? right. We, you know, we what we do is we like take that Bruxy's big bag of questions thing. You know, what, what he's done there is he's basically just taking snippets of his messages and, um, you know, content that he's already produced and saying, hey, let's repurpose that in a new location. And we need to find ways to do that, not yeah. not really looking to reinvent the wheel, uh, but finding a way to, uh, you know, repurpose, reuse um, what's already on our, you know, agenda. Right. Um, okay, let's talk about community engagement. Um, you used uh, Elevation Church as an example of this in your book. So what are some of the lessons maybe that you pulled from from Elevation's Love Week you talked about or maybe some other churches that do great at, at community engagement? Yeah, so this part of the book is really talking about how do we get people out of, out of our seats and in the streets. And um, I, when I first started writing this book, I this wasn't on the list of things that I thought I would be writing about. I... I um, but one of the kind of – I was trying to pull back and say, okay, well, what do these fast-growing churches all have in common, and what are the things that we could tell stories among all of them? And one of the things that I noticed is they all do similar things to, to Elevation's Love Week, where there's this idea of mobilizing 60, 70, 80 percent of their adult community into other group of partners in their community to make a difference. And, you know, we experienced this definitely at Liquid. It was a part of what we did three or four times a year we would do that, but it's not unique to that church. In fact, actually, when you look at kind of any, if you pull up any of the lists that are out there, the fastest growing churches, and dig around in what they're doing, you'll see these things. And I think it makes sense. We all live in an increasingly post-Christian culture, even in the most kind of the buckle of the Bible belt today is more post-Christian than it was 10 years ago. And um, there are, again, back to this idea of the way our churches grow is by our people talking to their friends. It makes sense in that context that uh, when our churches do things that folks outside the church think are great, uh, that becomes an easy thing for our people to talk to. And so uh, I think what happens here functionally is something like Elevation's Love Week, people in Charlotte see that as a good thing. They're like, wow, like, this is amazing. They mobilized 10, 15,000 volunteers to go in two-hour time slots to serve in community groups across the, the, the city. You know, they don't donate, have donated to date millions of dollars to these organizations and hundreds of thousands of volunteer hours. Wow, that is a good thing. Now, for us, for any, you know, for Christ followers, we know when we read the New Testament that uh, that Jesus is pretty clear that our job is to serve the poor, that that actually is what we're, we're called to do. And so our, while our community sees it as a good thing, we see it as a God thing and actually think at the intersection of those two, um, you know, God is using this as a way to see people get more connected to church. And so uh, how, what does that mean? So for us, we saw, as an example in our little church um, at, you know, Liquid, we saw, I told you about the Star Wars thing a little bit earlier, you know, we put all this time, effort, and energy into this massive, big Star Wars thing, and it was great. It was fun, and Christmas Eve was a lot of fun. But two weeks before that, we did a Christmas outreach and actually had the same number, or actually I think it was a slight few more 
uh, first-time guests come to that experience than we had come to our Christmas Eve service. And I think there's some sort of symbiotic relationship there that actually we kind of earned the right because at that particular year, we did 200,000 meals. We packed 200,000 meals in one afternoon for the local food bank um, that they were going to then distribute over the, the winter months. And um, our people saw that as, wow, this was great, and they were willing to invite their friends uh, to come to that. And so, you know, the lessons that I think you can pull out, I, again, I think if your church isn't pursuing, uh, if it's all about yourself, it would appear that that is a recipe for your church not making an impact in the community around you. That if you can't point to, hey, here's a part of what your church is doing, where you're getting people out of their seats and getting them into the streets, actually do something, uh, then you know you, you're missing out an opportunity to you know to reach people. You're and, and so in the book, I kind of talk through how do you do that. You know, the big part of these is about partnering with local organizations. It's not about starting your own thing. You know, these opportunities seem to be highly visible. So um, and there's a whole conversation which we could have around that. Which which is, um, you know, a part of what you're doing is creating a volunteer experience that is, is, is does undeniable good that you're like, wow, that's a great thing to be a part of, and it's a lot of fun to be a part of. Um, we were one of the first churches that ended up uh, partnering with the Tim Tebow Foundation to do Night to Shine. This is another vivid example that's kind of blossomed over these last few years. Um, the core ask for Night to Shine to volunteers goes something like, and obviously it's not this little tongue-in-cheek, the core ask for volunteers in an event like that is, will you give us two to maybe three hours to help people in our community, literally the last in our community, people who are overlooked, to come and have a prom, an experience that they, uh, that's kind of a normal cultural experience, but a lot of these folks with uh, special needs, they've never been able to have that experience, and we want to create that experience for them. Would you come and help for that? Well, who's the cold-hearted person that's going to say no to that? Of course, no one. There, people would love to be a part of that, and that's the kind of thing that people love to tell their friends about, and it's highly visible. It's, they, it's you know, we're bringing people together. We're having fun together. It's also that particular event, Night to Shine, is great because it requires somewhere between between two to four times the amount of volunteers as guests. So if you have 100 guests come to that event, you need somewhere between three to 400 volunteers to make it happen, which is wonderful. We can talk about that in the last chapter about how churches that grow realize that actually getting people to volunteer is a significant growth driver. And so that, that really is what these are experiences are about. How do we get people plugged in? to get them out serving, to make a difference. They'll tell their friends about that, which ultimately generates goodwill in the community and is the kind of thing that ultimately says, hmm, maybe I should try that church. Maybe that is the kind of place I should uh, go to. So, yeah, let's get into that last chapter on on internal communication. And you mentioned three types of, of people uh, growing organizations contain, right? So t- tell me about these ra- raving returners, sneezers, and advocates. Tell me about these. <laughs> yeah, so a part of the book was, again, and we hinted on this earlier, is about you know trying to communicate to the people who are in your church about how do you get people to talk to their friends. And one of the things I realized over years, and, and church leaders who are leading you know, growing churches, is that there's a small percentage of your church that actually does the vast majority of inviting, that they're, they're the kinds of people who are most likely to actually in, invite their, their friends. And, you know, they, these look different. They're not all the same. And so raving returners, these are the kind of people who um, 
um, you know, they're, they come like every weekend. You know, there's a small segment of your community that, um, you know, that their, their time, their, their, they come their time and again. And so those people, we want to make sure that we're, we're empowering them because they're, they're unlike most people in our church. They're, you know, they're not, uh, most of our church, we know they, they don't come every weekend. And so those group, that group, the question is, what do we need to communicate to them to not only get them to come back, to keep coming back because we like that, but also to say, hey, why don't you invite some people to be with you? Sneezers, these are the kind of people who, you know, they're constantly talking to their friends about everything in their life. So they're the kind of person that if they try a new breakfast cereal, they're talking about it. You know, if they try a new breakfast cereal Monday morning, that week, you know, at the water cooler at work, they're talking about that breakfast cereal. And there are people who just seem to be kind of culturally predisposed to want to talk about what's happening in their life. And again, I think, how do we get in front of those people? How do we ensure that those people um, are ultimately aimed with, armed with, um, you know, the information they need to be. And then finally, advocates. This group is a little bit harder to define. There's a group of people who maybe they don't jump up and down about your church all the time. Maybe they're not constantly talking about it all the time. But they, uh, they have either a level of influence in the community where they are in front of a lot of people, um, and they will, on a regular basis, um, you know, point towards the church, or they are uh, the kind of people who are... Um, you know, willing to use the influence they have to get in front of people. And so uh, let's take an example. You know, over the years, I've had people who work in, who come to our church, who are, they're happy to be here. They, they have kind of regular attendance patterns, that sort of thing. But they work on, you know, on a local radio station. And, you know, they're willing to advocate on your behalf when you send in a press release. It's important to know who those people are, because they actually have um, a bigger set of influence just because of what they do in, uh, you know, in their lives. And so a part of what we're, you know, we talk about in the book is to try to say, how do we communicate so that we get, you know, messages in front of people regularly? How do we ensure that they're, um, that we don't let anything uh, fall through the cracks? And how do we stay in, in front of uh, folks? Now, one uh, area that you mentioned is uh, something I'm really passionate about, and that's the new here process. And I've talked about this mm-hmm. as it relates to volunteers and having what I call an on-ramp process, where we need to uh, be ready and set up when new people come to our church or to our team. So uh, talk about this. How, how can our church be set up for new people? Yeah, so uh, kind of the philosophical piece first. If you had, let's say you were having Thanksgiving dinner at your house, and, you know, you've got uh, you have a lot of people at your house for Thanksgiving dinner, and let's say you have 20, 30 people come to your place. Let's say there were two guests who had never been to, you, to your house before for Thanksgiving, and they come to your house, and uh, you, you they know that, you know, you're, everyone arrives at, say, 4 o'clock on, you know, that Thursday afternoon. Everybody's coming at 4. They show up at, at 4 o'clock, and... Um, you don't do anything to acknowledge the fact that they're there. Uh, you don't say hi to them when they walk in the front door. You don't, um, you know, you don't, maybe don't call them, them out. Um, you know, you don't, you don't even as the host, maybe go over and be like, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, uh, you know, so, so much. What does that do to them? Well, obviously, they feel put out. They feel like, well, this is a little strange. You know, this is a, a, a little bizarre. I think we do the same thing at a lot of our churches every weekend. People come to our church, and they're not a part of our family. They're they're new here. They literally have never been here before. And we don't go out of our way to both acknowledge them, to let them know that they're both expected and accepted. So we, we knew that you were coming today. We were ready for you. In fact, 
we're going to be so ready for you. We've got a gift we want to give you. And, and you know, a lot of churches, they it's amazing um, how they do all this work to try to get people to come. <laughs> they do all this work to try to get people to invite their friends. And then when their friends show up, they're not doing anything or they're doing very little to try to capture folks to get plugged in. And so the good thing is in this area, we are seeing, um, you know, a fairly standard approach. There is kind of an industry standard on what's happening across um, you know, churches that are making an impact, that is, is, is pretty um, similar. It's, you know, some version of guests are, you know, every weekend we're acknowledging guests, every weekend we're pointing guests towards uh, some place in the church where they can do an exchange for their contact information in exchange for some gift, a gift that they actually want, not just like, here's some flyers on the church, but like a t-shirt or, you know, a cup or whatever, like, you know, a water bottle, that sort of thing. And then that's beginning then a follow-up process that looks like inviting them to whatever their next step is that ultimately drives to teams and groups. And so in the book, I kind of pull apart what that um, process looks like and um, how kind of the, the the broadest point of view possible to give you a sense of what some of those steps should, should be. But I, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. You, know, you go and visit a church. It's amazing how many churches don't do that. Like yeah. it's, it's, they, they don't, they just assume that somehow people find out how to get plugged into the church. And you know, that's a mistake that they're, they're missing an opportunity uh, to grow at that point. Well, I've talked before about the one of the one uh, things that's frustrating in visiting other churches has nothing to do really with the worship experience. It's my wife and I have two young kids. Where do we go to check those uh, them in? How does that process work? I mean, like right. those types of things or signage to the bathroom. Uh, you know, Absolutely. I mean, just the little things like that, that, that uh, you're thinking about new people and guests that are coming. Um, you have to make it uh, more inviting to them or act like the, you're not. This isn't a click. Um, it's not the, the only internal people know how to oh, well, around there and down three steps and jump three times. And there's the bathroom like make it easy for people. I'm using that as an example, a crazy example, but, you know, make it easy for people to, to feel welcome. Would you agree? Absolutely. And, I, you know, I think this would be a great way. And I, I don't know if you – I know you do provide some coaching. I don't know if you do kind of on-site stuff. Yeah. But this is a place where, you know, someone who's listening in who you love, Carl, I think he's great, he's an amazing guy, you know, you should say to him, like, hey, could you come and spend a Sunday at our church it doesn't need to be like a full-on secret shopper thing. Even someone external, I, I really do think there's real value yeah. for someone who's external, but who has not just like a generic secret shopper, someone who has experience like you, who's you know been into a lot of churches, to, to point out most churches are nose-blind to that stuff. They just don't see it. They right. don't, um, you know, they, they don't, and it's not huge changes. It's not even really super expensive. It's like, hey, if you made these three changes, you would, people who are here for the first time would get a better experience. Yeah. Um, they would, you know, they, you'd, you'd connect them, you know, in a, in, a, in a cleaner way. And so, and again, it's a lot of the stuff you're talking about. It's how do you, um, you know, what does that look like? How does that, you know, how does that uh, sort out? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's wrap our discussion on uh, church growth flywheel uh, up. Get us some, some parting thoughts on these five areas that we've talked about. First of all, I'm just super honored that you have me on the show. It you know, means a lot to me. It's, I don't take it for granted. I know that you've got a lot of people that you could talk to, so it, it really does you know, mean a lot to me. You know, I think in kind of in conclusion, my, my heart in this whole thing, 
uh, is to try to make it as easy and as simple as possible without it being simplistic. And so what I've tried to do is give people handles that they could put into action right away. And so uh, some people have read the book and been like, oh, my goodness, there's like way too much here. Like, I can't do all that. And, and that could be a, you know, maybe I should have been clearer that really the book is designed to say, here's five different areas. Why don't we take one of these areas and let's work on this area for the next few months. And then we'll come back to it and, and look at some of the other, uh, you know, parts of the book. And maybe, you know, maybe there's this other area that we could work on. And, and that really is what it's designed to do. And, you know, and I know there's a lot of church leaders that they want to see their church grow. They want to see their church make an impact, but they don't know where to start. What I've tried to do is here are some start locks. Here are some things that you could take uh, and apply in your scenario. That's good. Well, man, thank you. Incredible content. Thank you so much for, for sharing it with us. Happy to be here. Thank you so much again. Appreciate that. This has been an all-access interview from 1230 Media. For more interviews, training, and exclusive content for your production team, visit 1230.media slash training. Hi, I'm Sarah Drew. And I'm Justin Bruni. We are in an upcoming new film we think you are going to love. Indivisible is the extraordinary true story of Army Chaplain Darren Turner and his wife Heather. While the military is the setting for the movie, this is a redemptive love story at its core. This will be a date night movie you won't forget. Just remember to tell him it's a war movie. <laughs> Indivisible opens in theaters October 26th. We'll see you at the movies. Hey guys, a new movie is hitting theaters this weekend called Indivisible. It's a movie about an army chaplain and his wife. It brings a great message of hope and redemption to the screen. I recently chatted with the film's director, David Evans, about the project. Here's a little bit of what that sounded like. You know, it, it's, it really is the first feature film uh, ever made uh, about, an, about a military chaplain. We've done a lot of research on that, and while some... Uh, movies uh, might have a segment where you where you see a chaplain. It's never really been a story told uh, through the eyes of a chaplain or uh, uh, just a, about a chaplain and his family or his marriage in general. And that's really one of the great things about this film. Of course, it's based on a true story, but um, this is this is a, a real life example of what our troops go through uh, when they're deployed. And the story revolves around Chaplain Darren Turner and his wife Heather, set back in 2007, around the time that President Bush ordered a surge in the troops. So um, you see this novice army chaplain who's thrust into the middle of a, of a huge deployment uh, for 16 months. Um, of course, going a long period of time without seeing his wife and children, uh, but a, a situation where where lives are being lost and he's thrust into this situation where he's not only got to make sure that he keeps his own relationship with his wife and children intact, but dealing with a thousand other troops who are all going through uh, a myriad of various emotions themselves in addition to the loss of life and their own marriage situations and family struggles that they're facing back home. You can listen to my entire interview with David on our blog this week at 1230.media forward slash blog and go see and support this movie. For our podcast library and resources from this podcast episode, you can check out our website, thechurchmediapodcast.com. 
That's the churchmediapodcast.com forward slash 165 will get you to this episode directly. On the next Church Media Podcast. Next week on the podcast, we're going to take a dive back into the topic of church video announcements. We've talked about that subject a few times on the show, but I'll welcome Rich back for one more episode and we'll switch topics and chat about five advanced tips for enhancing your church announcements. That's next week. In two weeks, we have a special treat for you as I welcome Brian Bird, who is the producer of the television program When Calls the Heart. He also served as a producer of several TV shows and movies through the 90s and 2000s. Brian has been a producer in Hollywood for decades, and he is a dedicated believer in Christ. We'll talk about some amazing stories and what God is doing through Christians in Hollywood. That's in two weeks on the show. Until next time, my friends, thank you for listening. Go out there and create some incredible experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. The Church Media Podcast is a production of the Ministry of 1230 Media and produced by David Michael Hyde. For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your team, visit thechurchmediapodcast.com. 